I encourage you to take out your Bible, turn over to 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 14 through 18, and encourage you to take out your notes to fill in the blanks as we go through this. And just to kind of give you a roadmap through the holiday season coming up here, it's hard to believe we're coming up on the last two months of 2022, but um, don't forget about our Thanksgiving feast. There's a note in the program. We'll be having sheets out next week. It's a, it's a potluck, and uh, we want to encourage everyone to come and even bring some friends. It's just a great, great night as we meet at 5 o'clock um, on the 20th of November, and uh, we share testimonies and some music, and it's just a great time to enjoy a meal together. And then we move into the Christmas season, the creeds of Christmas. We'll be talking about the various different doctrines that uh, appear through the Christmas story. And so we're looking forward to a good ending to 2022. Well, we're going to finish up today in the book of Second Peter. And uh, just think about this as we go through these different books, verse by verse. We do mostly expository preaching here. And I like several things about preaching through a book in the Bible, verse by verse. There's tremendous value in doing that. You get to know the heart of the author and their perspective on their Christian life and how they live for Christ. When you preach through a book of the Bible with one author, you see the style of the person writing and how the theme of their thoughts are woven throughout the book. And studying a book of the Bible allows us to slow down and consider each phrase in the sentence of the verse. And it begs for word studies to understand the meaning of the word in context and understand the tense of the word. If it's a command, if it's in the present tense participle showing continuous action as a result of an action, for example, cross-references, as you think about that, the Bible's the best commentary for the Bible is to look at cross-references that support what that author is teaching. You see how the author's thoughts build and link together to construct a fuller idea and then act on it to apply it to their life. You see the pattern of the book emerge. Peter, in this book, started off with doctrinal teaching to remind us of the benefits of salvation. Then he shows us the contrast of solid theology with false teaching. And then how, as we're going to finish up today, to prepare for the eminent return of Christ. Just a note, if you want to see all or hear all of these uh, particular sermons on First and Second Peter, you can always go to our YouTube channel. You can go to our app for the audio and the website for audio as well, and they're all there. So as we finish this wonderful book and actually wrap up First and Second Peter, I hope that it brings the importance of these two books into your life. And next week we're going to talk about a summary of those two books and really cement these things in as we think about having a kingdom focus in the world around us that's moving faster and faster away from God, how are we going to live in this world as believers in Christ, as salt and light, as we may face various forms of persecution? So let's turn our attention to our scripture reading this morning, 2 Peter 3, verses 14 through 18. If you have your Bible, these verses will be on the screen as well. Peter says, Therefore, beloved, Since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them, Paul's writings, that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. 
You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. And may God add his blessing at the reading of his word this morning. Let's bow for prayer. Father, we commit this time into your hands as we open your word. We thank you that it's a, a living word. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It can go to the very heart of our lives and bring conviction, bring encouragement, bring comfort, bring challenge. And we pray that it will have its intended purpose in each and every one of our lives today. If there's somebody here that has not received Christ as Savior, that this would be the day they would receive you. For others who are going through difficulties and struggles, that this would be an encouragement and comfort. So God, direct us as we uh, talk about these verses. We pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Peter closes out this book with eight key thoughts, eight things. And you see those eight, one through eight on your outline. The first one is be diligent. Be diligent. Verse 14 at the beginning, he says, Therefore, beloved, since you're waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him. Now, whenever you see that word, therefore, you always stop and say, what is it therefore? And so Peter is saying that since righteousness, as we talked about last week, will dwell in the new heaven and the new earth, we should be living that way now. He's saying that we should be found by God if we die or if he returns in our lifetime. We need to be serving him. Notice that word beloved, it comes up a lot in this book because Peter is a pastor at heart, and he's thinking about those who are scattered abroad, who are believers, who are facing extreme persecution beyond Jerusalem. He says, be diligent to make haste, to be zealous, to be concerned about something, to be eager, to have or shown keen interest for an intense desire or an impatient expectancy. <clears throat> How do we do that on a daily basis? Well, it's hard to stay diligent. It's hard to stay in anticipation, sitting on the edge of your seat day after day after day. It isn't like waking up every morning and looking to the eastern sky and expecting Jesus to come back. It's hard to do that day after day. So to be diligent, to live each day to the best of our ability to glorify God, just doing the things that God has before us day after day. And we'll talk about that. But in Romans 13, Eugene Peterson wrote the message, paraphrase of these verses. I like what he says, but make sure that you don't get so absorbed and exhausted in take care, taking care of all your day-to-day -day obligations, that you lose track of the time and doze off oblivious to God. The night is about over. Dawn is about to break. Be up and awake to what God is doing. God is putting the finishing touches on the salvation work he began when we first believed. We can't afford to waste a minute, must not squander these precious daylight hours in frivolity and indulgence and sleeping around and dissipation and bickering and grabbing everything in sight. Get out of bed and get dressed. Don't loiter and linger, waiting until the very last minute. Dress yourselves in Christ and be up and about. And that's what we need to be doing as we think about these times that we're in. We do that by seeking God's will in the small and the big decisions in our life. As we grow in the Christian life and get to know God more, making decisions that are God's will in our daily routine of life becomes hopefully second nature to you, that you've so ingrained the word into your life that you already know 
as you face opportunities and choices, what would God want you to do in those situations? It's getting into the Bible and praying to begin or end each day. It's treating people with love and dignity and respect because everyone is made in the image of God. And it's remembering that as we build our relationships, as we interact with people. It's faithfully doing our work and our vocation. It's taking care of our family and the possessions that God has given us to manage. It's serving him at church using our spiritual gifts. These are just a few ways that we continue on to lead a no-regrets life. You can't change your past, but you can put it in the blood of Christ and move forward. Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind and straining toward what's ahead, I press toward the mark for the prize of the call of heavenward in Christ Jesus. You certainly can say from this day forward you live for Christ and attempt to live a no-regrets life by the power of the Holy Spirit. Peter now gives us a second phrase to consider in light of eternity. Be holy. Be holy. And we talked about this last week. In the verses we looked at, holy and blameless, it talked about. In this one, in verse 14, in the middle of that verse, it says, without spot or blemish. There's a lot that could be said here, but I'll begin this point with an illustration. You see up on the screen, two canoes, I believe, right? There we go, two canoes. Now, I was reading this week in my devotion, I read Ron Hutchcraft, and he works for Youth for Christ, and he's got a ministry to Native American Indians, and he takes teams to them, and he was in the Northeast. And when he was in the Northeast one time, uh, talking to some elders of a tribe, they said, no man could put his foot in two canoes at the same time. And he was talking about how they were admonishing the Native Americans decide whether they were going to assimilate with the white people or they were going to stay with the Native American people. Are you going to be in that world or in this world? And you and I, we know how ridiculous it would be to put our feet in two canoes, right? At some point, we are going to see a drifting apart, and you're either going to be in the water or in one of those canoes, right? And so Matthew 6.24, Jesus simply said, no one can serve two masters, so you can't claim Jesus as your Lord, the decider of what you do, and have someone or something else that is deciding your factor in your life. You have to make a choice. We have to be careful. And so in James chapter 4, James tells us to be careful to not be wrapped up in the things of this world. In James 4, some strong language, he says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity or hatred with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of this world system makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns, God yearns jealous, jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And then he says this, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. See, we make ourselves friends with the world sometimes when we don't speak up for our Christian view on things and share what God is for. God is for life. God is for a man and a woman to be married for one lifetime. Speaking about God's design for marriage and sex and gender, we can speak of those things positively. Silence sometimes shows our complicity with what others are saying in our presence. Sometimes... 
we give into the world, when we lean to the ways of the world, when we do things inappropriately or selfishly to get what we want. We make the ends justify the means to make what we want to happen. Sometimes we're curious about sin. We wonder sometimes what we're missing out on that the people in the world are involved with. And we look around and we play with sin sometimes. We compromise and rationalize our decisions that are out of God's will. Peter told us in 1 Peter 1, but as he, God who has called you, is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. The difficult standard for us is that God's standard is perfection, and none of us can meet up with that. Jesus said that in Matthew 5.48, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. But we can come and we can confess our sin. We can repent and turn away from our sin. And 1 John 1, 9 tells us he will forgive us of all our sin and cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. We can't live perfect lives, but we can live blameless lives in relationship to God. And so we are pursuing a holy life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul said this, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial, the devil? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God said. I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing, then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be my be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Pursuing holiness is not about seeing how close we can get to the line of the world. It's looking to God's word and matching our lives to what the Bible says. It's seeking purity and truth to be a contrast to the sinful corruption of this world system. It's living out God's values and character qualities in life. And that will allow people to take notice that we are different, that we are the light, that we are the contrast to the darkness in this world. The fact that you pull out of your driveway on Sunday mornings to come to church speaks volumes to your neighbors because 51% of the people in Scott County don't go to church anywhere that we know. The fact that you show that you have a larger vocabulary than most by not using Curse words in your conversations at work speaks volumes. Standing up for godly values when appropriate in the workplace. Being known as a man or a woman of integrity who's hardworking, who's honest. Knowing that it takes effort, extra effort sometimes to be truthful and to be honest and doing it because you want to please God, not just for earthly affirmation. And young person, it's trusting God to be all that God wants you to be and wait on him to bring a godly boyfriend or girlfriend into your life in his time. These and many other things we could say about living a life that is without spot or blemish. God's the one at salvation and then also every day who removes the blemish of sin because of his shed blood on the cross. So we can live our lives confidently with forgiveness and without shame, that's the beauty of Christianity, is that he takes not only the sin away, but the shame of it as well. The third point this morning is this, be at peace. 
the end of verse 14, it says, and at peace. This is addressed to the Christ follower. There's two kinds of peace in the Bible. There's peace with God. Romans 5.1 says, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. When we come to faith in Jesus Christ, when we hear the gospel, when we realize that we're a sinner, we realize that in our own ability, we can't earn our way to heaven, that we have to trust in the finished work of Christ on the cross, turn away from our sin, ask him to forgive us of our sin and come into our lives, we begin a relationship with him, and that is peace with God. We are rightly related to him. Ephesians 2.14 says, For he, God himself, is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh, Christ, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, Jews and Gentiles, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing that hostility. We were separated from God. And he broke down the wall by dying on the cross and rising again to give us the hope of eternal life. So because of our saving faith and the imparting of the Holy Spirit in our hearts when we are born again, we can enjoy the peace of God. The peace of God. We find that in Philippians 4, 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So we have a peace of mind as Christ followers because we know who is sovereign and looking out and caring for us day after day after day. We can have peace with those Christ followers because we are like-minded in faith. Notice it says earlier in verse 14 that we're to be found by him. We kid ourselves sometimes by what we do thinking God can't see us or he's indifferent to certain things that we do. Maybe he's too busy to worry about everything or everywhere I go. I learned that this week because I got one of those wonderful citations from LeClaire and the camera. And I thought I was doing just fine, but I wasn't, right? And so, you know, when we think everything's going well, God sees it all. God sees it all. <laughs> so make sure, make sure you're aware of that. So just because our God is not like the mythological God Zeus who sends lightning bolts to earth to punish people who do wrong, we shouldn't take advantage or become complacent to God's grace. Always remember the wonderful beauty of God's omnipresence. He's always with us. This is comforting, and it should give us peace, but it also keeps us accountable in seeking holiness in our lives. I love Psalm 139, these verses as a young Christian, that's something that I've just always kept in the back of my head, that God is everywhere I go. As a young person, he was on the dates I went on. He was, you know, entertainment choices. It tells us in Psalm 139, verse 7, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea... Even there, your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. God sees it all. He's always with us. Hold on to that. Peter's next point in verse 15 is to be grateful. Be grateful. We're kicking off this month of gratitude. 
We're going to have some testimonies on Sunday mornings about people and, and the things that they're grateful for. And we're going to have that feast and be a chance for all of us to reflect on that. And then we'll be with our families somewhere along that week of Thanksgiving to celebrate God's blessings. We need to be grateful. In verse 15, it says, And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. Be grateful for the grace and mercy of God. We talked about this in detail when we studied 2 Peter 3.9, how God's patience is long-suffering with us as Christ followers to help conform us, to mold us, to shape us into his image. But then he also has patience and long-suffering because he wants to see our fellow workers, our extended family members, our fellow students, co-workers around us to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Peter showed his love for Paul as it talks about at the end of verse 15. They didn't always agree. They had some confrontations, but Peter highly respected and regarded Paul. In Acts 15, Peter and Paul met with the other apostles to talk about how Gentiles should worship. And they came out of that, drew some counsel with Paul and Peter being the leaders in the discussion saying that Gentile believers should avoid sexual immorality and avoid eating meat offered to idols. Peter and Paul ministered together with Silas in Acts 15. And then Paul confronted Peter in Galatians 2 because Peter was shying away from the Gentile believers and just worshiping with his Jewish believers. And Paul uh, confronted them about that. So Paul shared the same wisdom of God in his writings as Peter did in his. In Ephesians 3, Paul said, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. Peter expands on this thought about Paul in the next verse. He says, be wise. Be wise in verse 16. Verse 16 says in 2 Peter 3, Peter speaking of Paul as he does in all his letters, when he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Peter's letters were sent most likely to some of the same places that Paul's letters went in Asia Minor. Peter acknowledges that there's some things in Paul's writings, especially writings concerning prophecy, that may be hard to understand. Literally, in this verse, Peter is saying difficult to interpret. Some of Paul's writings were complex, more complex than others. And Peter puts Paul's writings as equal to the rest of the inspired word of God by calling them scriptures. Scriptures in the Greek, graphe, it means inscribed writings. It refers to writings that are considered sacred because they contain a record of divine revelation. Peter again calls out false teachers who take and distort not only Paul's writings, but other scripture as well. He says they are ignorant, people who lacked information, who were immature in the faith, unstable, distorting, or literally it means like twisting and wrenching somebody's body on a torture table. They take and they twist and they distort the scriptures. Peter's sixth admonition in closing this book for those who are waiting for Christ's return is to be stable. Be stable. 
Verse 17, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. He's saying, you already know these things, brothers and sisters in Christ, and here's the prognosis. If you continue in the things of God, you will not fall in the ways of false teachings. Guard yourselves against the arguments of wicked individuals. Don't say that I didn't warn you. He said lawlessness. Those are people who are morally corrupt. But be stable. Have stability, steadfastness, firm footing. In Ephesians 4.14, Paul said, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. And Paul said this at 1 Thessalonians 5, but I test everything, hold fast what is good. Test everything. Test what you read. Test what you read on the internet or articles that you read in other places. See if it matches up with the word of God. Be discerning, be spiritually perceptive so you will not, as individuals or groups, he's saying, move away into error. One of the great tragedies in churches today is that we're, we can be so big on evangelism and seeing people come to faith in Christ. And then we've got these baby Christians. And many times we fail to follow through and disciple them. And this is where they become prey for the false teachers to come along and pluck them up. And so we see in 2 Peter 2.18, he reminds us of that for speaking loud boasts of folly, the false teachers enticed by sensual passions of the flesh, those who are barely escaping from those who live in error, those who just have come out of the kingdom of darkness. Now we come to the last but very important verse of this book. Number seven, be growing. Be growing. Verse 18, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter ends his letter with the same topic that he began with, this idea of growing. Grow here means to make it a habit of continually growing. That's the tense of the verb here. Make it a habit. You continue to grow. You know, we need to keep learning and experiencing and uh, being stretched in our faith until the day we die. We're always, always growing. If you're not growing, you're stagnant or you're atrophying in your spiritual growth. Always remember the object of your growth is found in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. See the balance here in his description? The Lordship of Christ, being filled with the Spirit, giving him access to our entertainment choices, our decisions with our finances, to be the Lord of our life, but also the Savior, the one who has forgiven us and is uh, helping us to grow until we become into the image of Christ, being confident in this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Philippians 1.6. The more we experience and grow in our knowledge of Christ, the more grace God gives to us. Let me say that again. The more we experience and grow in our knowledge of Christ, the more grace he bestows upon us. Knowledge is where we spend time in Scripture, and it keeps us from error, and it makes us stable, and it helps us to live in confidence no matter the circumstances while we walk with Christ. In the 1920s, there was a young African-American boy. He was, he was at school in Cleveland, 
And the fastest man in the world at that time in 1920s was an Olympic champion for America called Charles Paddock. He's the fastest human alive. And he came to the school and he said to the kids, listen, what do you want to be? You name it and then believe that God will help you be it. Well, that little boy was committed to being even faster than Charlie Paddock. So he went to his track coach and he talked to him and his track coach says, it's great to have a dream, but to attain your dream, you need to build a ladder. The first rung of that ladder is determination. The second is discipline. The third is dedication, and the fourth is attitude. And the result of it was that this young man grew up, and he won four gold medals in the 1936 Berlin Olympics. He won the 100-meter dash. He broke the Olympic and world records for the 200 meters. His broad jump record lasted for 24 years, and his name was Jesse Owens because he heard that speech from Charlie Paddock. And spiritual growth is not an accident. It's intentional. You have to intend to grow. Every day you have to make a choice that you want to become more like Christ. And if it doesn't happen in your life, guess what? It's not your parents' fault. It's not anybody else's fault. It's the fact that God hasn't moved, but you have moved. And God is always there with his open arms, willing and available for us to come and grow in him. This is a fitting conclusion in contrast to false teachers. The true teachers of God's word point all the glory to Jesus Christ. The false teachers seek and, and seek glory for themselves, which leads us to Peter's doxology at the end of verse 18. He says, to him, to Christ, be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Peter is affirming Christ's deity here, and he's equal to God. All glory goes to God alone. And we need to be reminded of that. In Isaiah chapter 42, verse 8, a very important verse. He said, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. He alone is worthy of our praise, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so our God is a jealous God. He's jealous for our attention, our focus, our praise, and living our lives for him not any other gods. I leave you with this section of scripture in Colossians 3 for us to remember, for us to think about, to set our attitude as we uh, live in these last days, as we go through these difficult times in our world. Colossians 3 says, Paul says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ who is in your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Here's our application today. And here's the question I want you to think about. Is the Holy Spirit leading and taking precedent in the thoughts and the intents of your heart? Is the Holy Spirit leading and taking precedent and the thoughts and the intents of your heart. That's so important. That's something to be asking ourselves on a daily basis. Am I filled with the Spirit of God? We know at salvation we're baptized, that we have the Holy Spirit come with it, live within us. But then Ephesians 5 says that we are to be filled with that Holy Spirit. That means to let him have control of every area of our life and let the Spirit reign instead of our selfish desires. 
Here's the key thought. Can you handle the storms of life, the temptation to sin, the falsehoods in Christendom and outside of Christendom in our world around us and the daily grind of following Christ in order to stay true and faithful to him? That's why I've hammered on this so much because I see so many people, two of my pastor friends in this town have walked away from the inerrant word of God being the word of God. I've watched it in pastors. I've watched it in people. I've read stories about megachurch pastors who've deconstructed. And so we have to be careful that we are not led away. But we need to be mindful that we're in a battle. And when Winston Churchill kept England stable during the World War II bombing raids, he emphasized this, wars are not won by evacuation. Wars are not won by evacuations. You have to stand in the battle. You have to put the armor of God on. You have to stand confident because you know the sovereign Lord will give you the grace to face whatever it is that you're going to face in this life. So some questions to ponder this week. Do we have what it takes to remain faithful to the Lord? Are we staying in the word of God to stay grounded in the truth? Do we go to the word of God and think God's thoughts as we seek answers to the storms of life? Let's bow our heads and our hearts in prayer. And today as we think about this admonition to be at peace with God and have the peace of God, with every head bowed, every eye closed, I just want to make sure First of all, maybe you're here today, maybe you don't have that peace with God, that you have that uh, relationship with the creator, the one who made you, taken care of. Maybe you need to ask him to come into your life and to admit that you're a sinner, admit that you need Christ, that you can't earn your way to heaven, but that you need to trust in the finished work of Christ on the cross that he died on that cross to take your sin and my sin upon himself, to shed his blood, to take away our sin. And he rose again the third day to give us the power over the grave, over Satan and over sin, and to give us the hope of eternal life. But we have to be willing to repent, to turn away from our sin and ask him to come into our heart. I'm just going to pray a simple prayer today. And maybe here today, maybe you've never received Christ Just pray this prayer quietly. And it's not the words that are magic. It's the intent of your heart. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I realize that I'm a sinner. I've broken your laws. But I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Take my sins. Wash them away. Help me turn away from my sin. And I ask you to come in and be my personal Savior. If you prayed that prayer today, just encourage you, no one's looking around, just slip your hand up so I can pray for you. Only me and God and you, anyone else, to be sure that you have that eternal life. And if you're a believer in Christ today, maybe you're struggling in this area of holiness. Is it well with your soul, with God? Are you at peace with God? Do you know that you're following him? Or are there areas of your life that you need to confess and turn over to him? Is there anything that you would be ashamed of if Jesus were to come back today and to take you to heaven?
This is the time to be thinking about those things and to commit to living holy lives, blameless, spotless in his eyes. Father, we come before you and we know we're not perfect. We know we're made of dust. We know we're weak. We know we still have the sinful nature at work in our heart and our lives. And we're easily tempted. We're easily giving in to temptation. But Lord, help us. Help us to put those sins under the blood and to walk in confidence and to realize that we don't have to be in shame for these things. And Lord, day by day, let the sin grow less and less in our lives. That the new nature takes more control than the old. And that, Lord, we would just be honoring and glorifying you through how we live our lives. Lord, there's a world out there that needs to see the contrast. That's why we need to be holy. To make them curious about the faith that's within us. To ask the questions. And so, Lord, I pray that we would... Uh, we would make the pursuit of holiness a big part of our lives this week. We pray and ask in Jesus' name, amen.